Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Chatting in the City podcast. I am here with a friend of a friend, a special guest, Jordan, and um, she's a pastor. I wanted to sort of get get her on here to ask her about, you know, basically the ministry and what she's seen in terms of mental health in the Black community. Because generally speaking, the Black community seems to be more religious, uh, historically speaking, at least. Us younger people were a little, you know, I haven't been to church in like five years, so I'm... I feel bad about that. But um, Jordan, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm actually fighting with whether or not I should just let everybody call me Jordan because that's what you said. Or if I should tell you that my name's Jordan. (laughs) But I mean... Did I say Jordan again? You did. Wow. (laughs) Okay. I apologize. I could just just change my name. No, 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 no. Okay, say it one more time for me. Jordan. 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 Okay, perfect. I think I got it now. Jordan. Jordan. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> Don't change your name. If you change your name, I'd have to change my name. People will call me Booze. It's it's not, you know. It's not great. So I apologize I for that. No, it's okay. All right. So um first of all, how did you get into the ministry? How did you get how, did you want to did you always want to be a pastor? What was that like? Well, when I was a little girl, I was a little bit of a nerd, right? (laughs) Like, I was very much a Bible nerd. And it's not like I loved the Bible because I loved Jesus. I did. I did love Jesus. But I just really thought that the Bible was cool, right? And it's like this ancient historic book with all of these really cool stories and really some weird stories, interesting stories that people don't even really talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, when you do, like, your Sabbath school or Sunday school lesson. Like there are certain like stories that we all hear, but when you really dig deep, it's like a soap opera. Like the Old Testament is mad interesting. Love, 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 love reading the stories in the Old Testament. And I decided when I was little that I wanted to be a Bible scholar, mm. right? And people are like, Bible scholar, pastor, same thing. No, I wanted to be <laughs> a person who goes and like does archaeological digs and finds cool things and reads in different languages and analyzes and writes books for academic people that your everyday person would never care about. That's what I wanted to do. Jesus was like, nah, you're going to be a preacher. And I was like, not the same thing. Mm. But um, I actually really, really enjoy um, preaching, sharing the gospel, doing life with people. Honestly, sometimes I call pastoral ministry hangout ministry because I legitimately get paid to walk with people on their journey of discovering Jesus, Mm. becoming mentally, spiritually, physically healthy and whole and happy. So I want to ask you about, um, as a minister... Um, mm-hmm. this podcast is about mental health, right? And mm-hmm. so I was curious, I was really, I wanted to get you on to ask you this question specifically. In your experience, do people come to you for help um, basically saying they're struggling with this or that? And w- if they do, what do you suggest to them? And before you answer, there's um, there's actually a lot of research that's been done showing mm-hmm. that religious, exp- like a religious uh, belief in spirituality actually has a lot of benefits in terms of well-being, Right. Right. Absolutely. They're like markers of well-being, like mentally and physically as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
Um, well, okay, so it's weird because I am a person who has major depressive disorder. And um, so I'm not depressed. I'm not depressing. Mm-hmm. I have depression. Right. Right. So there are certain things that I have to do to make sure that I manage that well. However, coming to the place where I realize I have depression, there are certain things I need to do to manage it well. And every choice that I make matters. Like with every choice I make, am I choosing to go to bed on time or am I choosing to sink into a depression? Like, am I choosing to go to the gym today or am I choosing to sink into a depression? Like Mm -hmm. those are kind of like the choices that you make on a daily, you know, like that grind. Like, And it's not to say that, um, depression won't come if you're doing all of the things. It's just to say that sometimes you have to like manage it from a holistic perspective. Like, am I going to skip seeing my therapist or am I going to relapse? Like those, those are like my daily choices, right? It's taken me a number of years to get to the point where I realized I needed help Mm -hmm. and where I realized I wasn't just lacking faith and failing. So it's like, because I'm also a black woman, right? Mm. And um, black women, like, what do we call it? Black girl magic. And we see, no, but like we see black women like literally take over the world and like accomplish like all of these like groundbreaking things against all of the odds against them and we share it all on social media and it's like this really proud thing to be a part of right but then when you are struggling to get out of bed in the morning it's like I just feel like I'm failing like I'm failing myself like I'm failing my family who like immigrated here to give me a better shot like You just feel like you're failing people, right? And then you compound like that experience of, I just feel like I'm a failure with, I'm supposed to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm supposed to be teaching other people how to have a relationship with Jesus. And I just don't have the desire to do the things that I legitimately love because I have depression, but I don't have the desire to do things that I legitimately love. I don't have the desire to nerd out on scripture right right now because I'm going through a depression but I'm not gonna see that initially as I'm going through a depression I'm gonna see that as I just lack faith and I need to try harder right but then it's a cycle of I need to try harder but I'm like you know like it's a hormonal thing sometimes right it's like all of these different things that come together um so for me I realized that I'm not failing I don't lack faith. I have I have been diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And that means that, you know, right now my brain's working a little bit differently. And I need to be intentional about my thoughts, um, my actions, and my choices to keep myself in a place where I am happy and healthy and holy. Right. How does that relate to other people? When people come to me, they don't say, Pastor Jordan, I'm depressed. Mm. They say, 
I just have lost my faith or I just am not trying hard enough in my relationship with God or I just need to have more discipline. And sometimes all of those things can be true. But I think because the way we share the idea of having a relationship with God, sometimes we share it through rose-colored glasses. Mm. We don't really share the real um, and like the nitty-gritty and the difficult parts of being on a Christian journey. People think that if my relationship with God doesn't look like me preaching all over the world and me having like this unspeakable joy and my hands raised in worship every day, then it's not real, right? But there could be other things at play. So when I um, talk to people, I do ask them like, have you considered seeing a Christian counselor, seeing a therapist? I can actually help you find one because I'm not a therapist. So I am not giving anybody any type of therapy, but what I am able to do is talk to somebody and understand where they are, what they're going through and how I can walk with them on that journey. Well, you touched on a lot there. Um, But you said something interesting that people come to you and they say, you know, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm not, you know, they don't just say, hey, I'm going through a, you know, like a panic episode or something like that. You know, they don't mm-hmm. say it as, you know, as you, you know, classify it if you're looking at, at it from like the DSM perspective. Mm-hmm. That's really fascinating because for, I think for a lot of people, we don't know in the sense that we don't, there isn't that whole kind of like being able to watch your mental state to kind of know what's going on exactly. Right. And like you said, you wake up in the morning, you think um, you're struggling with your faith, but really you're just depressed. You don't really want to do anything. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, that's how that happens as well, especially in the black community. I feel like there isn't enough. We don't know enough about mental health to be like, OK, today I'm feeling this way. And that might be because of this. We just sort of go mm-hmm. to, you know, today I'm feeling this way. Maybe I've lost my faith. Right. You kind of go to almost like the extreme thing. The extreme. And right. it's never that like extreme well sometimes it is but for most people it's not that extreme like you absolutely still love jesus because you're articulating that to me you're just going through something right now that you don't necessarily understand and because i have an experience with depression i think that helps me to be just a little bit more empathetic like i'm definitely not a person who can offer any therapy but i can offer empathy and i can help you um and i think just a little bit like remove some of the stigma and say, yeah, like, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, I get depressed, I have depression, and I still love Jesus. And he still uses me in my, like, imperfection. And I think, I think that's powerful. I hope that that helps people. But I guess we'll all find out. It probably does. I mean, like, you never really know mm-hmm. what helps you or what doesn't help people. But like, you know, just like you said, being empathetic and just sort of listen to my understanding mm-hmm. that can help a person mm-hmm. who's really struggling. You, you don't even mm-hmm. have to really say anything, just being there and listening. Right. Yeah. And they, like, and I think that's like kind of the biggest thing that I'm trying to do. Just break down some of the stigma because I know my parents' generation, even if my parents listen to this, they're probably going to be like, why would you tell people that? <laughs> like, why? Like, why would you tell me that? He, why, why would you do that? 
um and they probably have like a little bit of anxiety about the fact that i'm saying this but i think breaking down the stigma especially in the church is the biggest thing right just like everybody has mental health just like everybody has physical health Mm. everybody sometimes falls victim to mental health illnesses just like Everybody falls victim to physical health illnesses. And sometimes it's just a cold, right? You need a couple of days off, you need to refresh, and then you'll be back to being great. And sometimes it's more severe and you need some intervention and you need the help of somebody who can help to get you back on track. And then you continue to make healthy choices every day to live a healthy life. In the same way that if I wanna make healthy choices about my body, I hit the gym, I do my weight training and like it hurts, but like I choose to do that. Same thing for my mind, right? I have to make the healthy choices every day to live a healthy life. And as a pastor, I can be a part of the, let me walk with you in the choices that you're making on a daily basis. Right. Um, Like for myself today, to be honest, like this past week has been, so we're going through midterms, right? And it's just, Mm -hmm. It's heavy. It's a lot. And uh, our lab is actually doing a, like a whole month on Black Student Wellness. And so that's also been really busy. And there's a bunch of stuff going on. And today I woke up and I was just like, I was just exhausted. I'm like, man, what the hell is going on? I was so tired. I'm just, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to get up from bed. I just, I didn't want to get up at all. But yeah. um, something that I've kind of like, I've been privileged to actually learn over the last couple of years, you know, years uh, learning, studying psychology is I've been able to sort of like, monitor my mental state to kind of mm-hmm. know where my thoughts are taking me and then if they're taking me in a, a bad place i'm like okay i can do this to kind of get out of it right mm-hmm. which like we mentioned earlier a lot of people don't really have that and so they go from you know i'm struggling today i'm feeling low i've lost my faith mm-hmm. right whereas mm-hmm. for me i was just i was a little bit exhausted i need to do i needed to do some sort of get myself out of my head so i woke up i stretched i you know did a bit, little bit of you know some weight training at home and i feel a lot better so it's kind of like mm-hmm just being able to sort of watch and like monitor that mental state for me has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's like having that understanding that my mind, my body, my spirit, my emotions, though we think of them as separate, they all come together to make me, right? So I'm one person with all of those different elements, right? So it's almost as though sometimes in the church, we focus just on the spiritual, but if we were to just get people moving, you know, get people eating better, get people thinking better, right? And do ministry from like a more holistic perspective, then I think that can definitely have an impact on people because there's no need to use guilt and shame. Guilt and shame don't work, right? <laughs> like they don't work. Uh, people into heaven. Like it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Hey, but if, speak for yourself. <laughs> the Catholic Church has been, you know, it's a powerful thing, man. It's just it's sad, but go on, sorry. And shame, shame is powerful, right? It is really powerful. But if we look from a biblical perspective, we can see where shame comes from, right? So like in Genesis, right? You have um, the first chapter where God makes the world, 
right? Mm-hmm. And he makes it perfectly. And it's this beautiful creation. And he uses binary opposition. So it's like day, night, light, dark, land, sea, sky, birds, land, animals, fish. And he brings all of those things together. And then he makes humans, right? And he makes male and female. And he says like, okay, now this world is very good, right? And then at the end of that chapter, it starts to talk about the fall, right? Mm. Um, Because it goes into chapter two, where we see Eve, well, two and three, right? Uh, Where it talks about creation again and how they were naked and they were unashamed. And then in chapter three, Eve, she eats the fruit. I don't know what kind of fruit it was. If it's an apple in your head, that's fine. (laughs) But she eats the fruit after she gets deceived. And the first thing she notices is that she's naked. So, like, just the chapter before, chapter two, they were naked and unashamed. And then as soon as she eats the fruit, she notices that she's naked. Adam notices that he's naked. And they feel the need to hide themselves. Right? And then they hide themselves. So they feel shame. And then they hide themselves. And then when God's talking to them, right, he's like, Adam, did you eat from the fruit? And Adam's like, uh, the woman that you gave me. It, like, she, like the woman you gave me, she gave it to me and then I ate it, right? So now they experience sin, shame, hiding, and blame, right? And it's like this cycle where when we are in that perfect union and perfect um, community, that sinless experience with God, there is no shame there, right? And that's why um, Paul says, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but when we are outside of that, that's where we experience shame. And shame doesn't bring us closer to God. It doesn't bring us closer to health. It actually brings us further away. We hide because right. we don't want people to see our shamefulness. That's but if we, as a church, would get rid of the shame, right? Get rid of the stigma. Get rid of those negative things that we associate with taboo topics like mental health then that's where we can start experiencing healing. Because I do think that the Bible is therapeutic and I do think that the Bible is healing. But when we come to the Bible with the sense of I am bad, then we're just going to find a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's that confirmation bias. We're going to find more reasons to think that we're bad. But if we come to the Bible with an understanding that God is good, then it's going to work in that perspective as well. We're going to find more ways that God is being good to us and that God wants us and how God wants to redeem us and bring us back into community, right? So that's all I'm really trying to do with mental health. Tell people, hey, I have mental health. I have mental health illnesses and I'm not ashamed of it because God's not ashamed of me. Wow, that's beautifully said. Um, And it kind of, the idea of shame kind of like circles back to when you mentioned that your parents would kind of be a little anxious about this, but like, why would you tell them? You don't even know him. Now you're telling yeah. him this thing. And yeah. um, a couple of weeks ago, we were having, as part of our Black Students Wellness Month, we had this, like, we have, like, this men's room discussion. And um, uh, we were there just talking about, it was the first session, we are talking about why there is, there seems to be this stigma in the Black community about mental health. And some of the ideas we came up with were confidence and trust, in the sense that mm. Black communities are very, uh, especially Black families, are, you know, there's a lot of pride, right? And we're sort of... Mm-hmm. We're very connected, but there's this thing where we're very connected, but we don't share 
I'm not saying sharing in terms of you sharing goods, sharing, you know, whatever, sharing. Yeah. We don't share in the sense that we keep things within the family we sort of, so we don't let yeah. it spill out into the community. Right? So that kind of affects the trust in people. If you're struggling with something, we try to keep it in the family and basically let's just not have these people. Because if they know about it, they might think, well, these people have this thing, right? These people mm-hmm. are weak, right? So those ideas kind of like proliferate throughout the community. And that's why. And the other idea was that some people just don't, some people have actually tried to go get help and then mm-hmm. been mistreated. And so that's sort of, you know, perpetuates that whole mistrust. And so I have had all of those experiences, right? Growing up in a Jamaican family, we have this whole thing about not exposing your dirty laundry. Um, and, um, right. And it's just like a thing of always, we have like, we definitely, I think maybe within just Caribbean people have us like a sense of respectability that mm-hmm. we want to put forward and I don't think it's only a bad thing like in some cases it's been like very, very beneficial because it's taught me to have like a good sense of pride about who I am and how I present myself to the world and how I interact right and the type of respect that I approach people with for myself and for them right but then there's also the aspect of we need to be able to differentiate between what is being dishonest mm. and what is being respectable, yeah. right? And I can pretend to be okay, but that's dishonest. Mm. And there's nothing that's not respectable or not okay. Like it's okay to not be okay. That's it's perfectly fine. and. I just, I'm trying to dispel the stigma because it comes, it comes really in our communities from slavery, right? Where we come from really beautiful ancient cultures, right? And we're stolen and just taken um, and packed in shits on top of each other and, and survived the middle passage and survived the worst form of chattel slavery known to man and made soul food and culture and music out of that horrific experience. And yet there's certain things that we still take from those experiences, right? And we want to show the world our humanity so much because they deny it. And because we're trying so hard to show the world a humanity that they deny, what we show is a superhumanity, right? And we're showing them this superhumanity so that we can combat the subhumanity that they play on us. But I think true freedom is not combating their subhumanity with superhumanity, but just being human, just being real. But I acknowledge that for a black man, for a black woman, like sometimes being real is dangerous, mm-hmm. right? We like we see it on the news, like day after day. We see it in our everyday life, like walking down the street, playing cops and robbers, going to get skittles. All of those different things are dangerous, right? So why? would you, from like an older generation's perspective, or even sometimes this generation's perspective, why would you tell somebody that you have a weakness? 
when they already think that we're weak. So we project this superhumanity, super, super resilient, super resilience, and people think that you can handle anything. So then they mistreat you because they think you can handle anything. And then there's the, no matter what you do, people still look at you like a thug. Mm. So it's kind of a catch-22. Like, it's on both sides. Like, and it's a little, it's, it's a little depressing to think about it from that perspective, but it's just real. Like, I understand what, like, why it's hard for Black people to talk about mental health, right? Because it's vulnerability right and being vulnerable like it makes you the most agile and it makes you like really stronger but it 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 makes you vulnerable and when you're being attacked being vulnerable doesn't necessarily feel safe so i like like i i understand i just think there's value in what's beyond the vulnerability I think there's value in the conversations that we can have. I think there's value in looking at what trauma has been passed down to me from my parents and from my grandparents, right? What, because I can still touch slavery, right? Like it's not that long ago. I can still, I know people who were raised by slaves, right? So like those mentalities are things that they're going to teach their children. And then it's no longer a slave mentality, it's just culture, right? But like we, there's, there's just, there's value beyond it. And I get, and that's why I just wanna have empathy towards like, especially young black boys and young black girls, because we, I just wanna show like a sense of understanding of, I get the struggle. I get all of the different pieces and I get why it's hard and I get why older generations didn't lean into it. They're like, let's not demonize them for surviving. Right? Like what kind of crazy, like, oh man, our ancestors didn't know what they were doing when they were surviving. Like, like <laughs> let's not demonize them for surviving. But now that we know more, we can move further. You do more than just surviving. And there's something you kind of mentioned something really interesting, the idea that there is actually strength through vulnerability. It's not, you know, <laughs> you pretend to be, you know, invulnerable and you're strong. It's actually strength through invulnerability, which you actually <laughs> mentioned earlier about uh, creation, you know, that little segment where your Bible nerd kind of came out of creation, how God created the world essentially with and through opposites, right? Yeah. Everything has to have its opposite. If, it, if there's no opposite, it doesn't make sense. It's that, um, what's it called? Um, uh, Coincidentia oppositorium, some Latin, like the idea that okay. like the yin yang, essentially like yin yang, right? Everything yeah. has to have its opposite or it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Like right. you can't be on top of a mountain every day because if you are every day there, happiness means nothing. Joy means nothing. You have to come mm -hmm. down. And if you're, mm -hmm. you know, if you're always down, happiness means nothing. So it's always like we have to sort of get these ideas into the community. The fact that it's okay, like you said, it's okay not to be okay. Because if you're not okay, that means there is a place where you can be okay. Yes. Right. There's there's a lot of like it's it seems counterintuitive when you first hear it, but it actually makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of what you're trying to do with your ministry. And thank you for that. Yeah. If you could, well, I'll say it. if you had a magic wand, okay. This is hypo hi <laughs> hypothetical. I know you're a minister. I don't want you to, you know, 
take anything. A miracle wand. There we right. go. Right. Okay. If you had a miracle wand, if you had a, if you could perform miracles, what would, what would be the three things that you would change right now? About what? I guess like around the black community and mental health in the church. Um, I would make trauma sensitive churches. I would just, I would make every church trauma informed. Every pastor would be trauma informed and would know what their limitations are and would know when something is beyond their depth. And when you can say, I'm going to pray with you, I'm going to walk with you, but I'm also going to help you find a therapist. So every church would be a trauma sensitive, trauma informed place. Um, Yeah. Two, I would have every church leading worship in a way that's healing. Because I think God designed worship to be healing. However, sometimes because of our insensitivity and because of our rigidity and because of the ways in which we do it, we don't experience the full benefit of it. Right. So I would we would lead worship in ways that are healing um, in that safe space that we've already created. So it's OK for people to come and cry. It's OK for people to say what they've been struggling with and to experience healing in community. And I would make it so that everybody had a friend. Yeah. A friend in the church. Because when I go to a friend in the church, yes. Okay. Um, but just a real friend. Mm. In or out of the church. Like if they have a friend who believes the way that they do, that's even better. But a friend. Um when I go to my therapist, I talk to him about certain things. And um, he helps me process through certain things. But what he's doing with me is helping me process and helping me get to a place where I am healthy enough to do some of this on my own. A friend is someone who can just sit there and listen to me and they're not going to charge me $100 an hour for it. (laughs) Very true. Very true. You know? Yeah. And I think... Um, I actually learned in a class that I was taking that sharing your story for just 30 minutes can reduce trauma responses. And if everybody just had a safe person that they could share their story with, I think a lot more people would experience healing. Yeah. Getting it out just kind of at least reduces, you know, the amount that will just keep playing in your head on a loop. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that just kind of reduces the stress dramatically. So anyway, thank you so much. I've loved talking to you. I could keep talking to you, but we can't go on forever, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so thank you. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can I read? How can I get? In, how can I get in touch with you? They can follow me on Instagram at the only Jordan okay. one zero one the only Jordan or um, yeah, follow me there. Or you can follow. Yeah, that's really my only social media. Platform. Okay, we'll add it right here, right below your. <laughs> Just add it. 
just just add it follow me on instagram it's not cool but yeah thank you so much <laughs> and um take care of yourself thank you